Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The answer is just do it. Just, do, just publish the game. The first game that you put out is going to be the most daunting because you've never done it. Uh, it's it's terrifying. Gun and Slinger was the first game that the first the first game that I ever did that was big. It's the first Kickstarter I did. It's the first game that I'm putting this much effort into. I just had to do it. You you just gotta do it. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Nevin, can you talk to us about your current in-work project that I had the pleasure of playtesting not two days ago? Oh, God, I'm so excited to get your feedback on it. What is, um, the, what is the my name? <coughs> <coughs> yes. uh, my current project um, that I'm focusing the most on out of all bazil- bajillion <laughs> of my work in progress. I, I did a count the other day. I have like 10 whips right now. It's messed up. Um, my current project is uh, you're, you're in space and everything's fucked. Um it is my love letter to survival sci-fi horror. It is specifically inspired by Dead Space as a mm-hmm. series mm-hmm. Um, and other media like the Alien series and The Void from 2016, mm-hmm. like John Carpenter, The Thing. It's it's body horror. It's gruesome. It's fucked up stuff. Um and it is very, very, very specifically a love letter to and dissection of sci-fi survival horror video games. Mm-hmm. And it's a project that does everything it can to take my favorite pieces of it and my least favorite pieces of it and bring them into tabletop role-playing 
in a way that for me it's allowed me to understand those aspects of the media more and I think it also allows those who play, run, and read it to really grok how I feel about them and what makes those genres so fucking cool. <laughs> I uh, one here. Here's something that's that's interesting is that I am not a strong sci-fi person. I love horror. I uh, I have a lot of touchstones or uh, um, tangential touchstones that are sci-fi related but i've never played dead space i've never watched aliens i've never seen the void yeah yeah uh it's not like i don't even really super watch sci-fi anime that often uh and it's for no reason mecca right yeah you you know mecca sci-fi yeah but it's about the war it's not about the mecca most of the time it's about the adolescent grow-ups uh sure 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 yeah 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 but uh 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 what the game did for me was paint a very clear picture of that environment. And even though I had a lot of tangential knowledge of survival horror and sci-fi and was able to sort of wrap those things around the game, I think it presented a nice uh, painting of those elements. And uh, yeah, so it's a love letter to Dead Space. The player that I had is an avid Dead Space player, loves the games, loves survival horror. Uh, he had an absolute ball. Uh, shout out to Liam for for playing the game with me prior to this interview on such short notice. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, so it sparked the idea. You want to create this love letter to, to survival horror sci-fi. Uh, who are you in the game? Who do you play in the game? Uh, a really unlucky bastard. Yeah. Um, you, you play the, the, there's two roles, the, the GM who I'm trying to come up with a cool word for, uh, and the struggler. Um, I specifically didn't want to go for like survivor or the engineer. I didn't want to pigeonhole anything. And I think that the struggler is a really good word. Mm -hmm, mm. We're talking about conscious word choice. I think that that's a very conscious decision because there's some mechanics that this game has that we'll get into, um, that make something like the survivor not really fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also <laughs> there are plenty of survivors in the world. And if I were to say the player character is a survivor, that kind of rules out interacting with other surviving NPCs. So mm-hmm. it's the struggler mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you are just a really, really unlucky person who has ended up in an absolutely awful situation by one means, or by one means or another, mm-hmm. um, the, the the specifics of your being here and what the here is are decided during setup. Mm-hmm. But you're in space, you're unlucky, and everything's fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the energy is there for sure. I mean, it, in my running of the game, the... I mean, it is lethal, dude. It is... Yeah. It is not a good time at all. Uh, especially if you don't have, like, a great starting visceral weapon and all that stuff, like... I was rolling real high on HP and limbs. Like, it was just not good. It's <laughs> for rough, any- dude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fucking rough. I was critting all the time. I, I, I really, really wanted this game to be 
hard. Mm. Uh, like, everything has to be out to kill you. You die in this game a lot. Mm-hmm. And that is intentional. Um, because when you play something like Dead Space or any survival horror game, you die a lot. Mm-hmm. But you learn from those deaths and you you grow. It's It kind of brings in a bit of like... OSR ideology, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's designed in this game uh, that is specifically focused on player skill, not character skill. The the systems that are in place for how you succeed and how you use tools and how you learn about the world are all focused on... The the struggler learns, right, in fiction, um, but the player is really who has to sit down and think, okay... This shit sucks. How do I get past it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's um, it, when I ran the game the uh, the other time. So the game uses uh, a d6 dice pool system, and uh, only sixes are successes, and the number of successes determines your uh, success in the narrative. For me, one of the ways you build the dice pools is that you consider the fictional advantages of the the character in the, in that moment, and when you bring that up, because I didn't realize this when I was playing it, I I don't often play games where like it's build a dice pool through fictional positioning, so I didn't recognize that. Uh, but when you say it out loud, it's one of those things where like you say it's the player skill, not the character skill. So it's on the player to say like, oh, do I have this advantage with this, and do I also have this advantage with this? Like you're sort of trying to build that bigger dice pool by stacking those fictional positionings. Uh, at least that's what it looks like to me as we as we talk about this. Is that something you it's were a, aiming for? Yes, exactly. That's that's the the full intent there, mm-hmm. um, because like when you when you play Dead Space, I, I'm going to say this a lot in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically remember like when Dead Space came out, it really did like mix up the action shooter genre as well. Like mm-hmm. it's Dead Space is Resident Evil Four. Right. With some twists. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, especially true for like the first Dead Space. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things about that game is enemies don't have traditional weak points, which is at the time that was a huge curveball because Resident Evil 4, you shoot them in the head. Mm-hmm. Like, there you go. They're going to die. But if you come into Dead Space and you shoot something in the head, I mean, their head's going to come off. But uh, they're st- they're still coming for you. Yeah, they're still kicking. <laughs> so you in that game, you have to learn how to do these things, mm-hmm. and you also gain tools, and you have to learn how to use those tools. Like you get stasis, you get kinesis, you get weapons with multiple attacks, mm-hmm. like different forms of attacks. And that's also true in one of the other things that this was inspired by, uh, System Shock 2, which mm-hmm. is an immersive sim game. It's an M-Sim, which means that you as the player get a wider toolkit and your your character grows more powerful. But if you don't, if you as the player don't learn how to use every single thing at your disposal, you're going to have a hard time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um So I really wanted to build the dice pool system in this game to exist in a way that's like you have to consider every – like you are scraping to succeed. You're going to roll sixes, but you really want your odds to be higher because you die in three hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And and there's also the fact that like okay, you have to learn about what these enemies' weak points are. You have to learn where they are, and you have to aim for them because that like when you learn where they are, that's another advantage that you can get. It's like I know that the weak points here, so I'm gonna aim at that to deal more damage and get an extra die. Mm-hmm. And it's when you talk about this this sort of OSR player skill uh, competency. It sounds like one of the design principles behind the game is also you, you get more out of it out of system mastery when you talk about this M-Sim, right? Because one of the things my player forgot often was that they have will and luck at their disposal. So they didn't really utilize that. They didn't feel like they were getting very far in some instances. Not that they didn't have fun, but it's just like, oh, we forgot that you had this, right? You could have circumvented this issue in hindsight, right? Or something yeah. like that. But yeah, that's well, on the player to remember that they have that you know what i mean yeah to, yeah i i feel like it's definitely on the player to to remember that but it's it's also on the gm to remind yes. them like hey you you have these you know mm-hmm. and i think that it's a thing too that like there are games with with luck systems in them um but in my experience you don't always feel like like you don't feel like it's worth it to use it yeah a lot yeah. of the time a lot of the times like in in Monster of the Week, you use luck to succeed in a check. Mm-hmm. Full stop. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. Or or it keeps you from dying. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, you use luck to, like, make a MacGuffin appear. Like, <laughs> luck and will can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. In slightly different ways. Like, luck affects you and what you find. Will is, like, perseverance and stuff like that. Mm. Um, The example that I put in the book is, like, if your ship is going to crash and you use will, you are persevering. Mm -hmm. But your crewmates won't. Right. If you use luck, then everybody's fine. Mm -hmm. And to that degree, you have less luck because it's more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. it's all, it's about like remembering those tools, mastering those tools, uh, and also being very very creative with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It seems like fictional positioning is like a big uh, component of like the dice pool system. Considering how you use will and luck, considering like what your options are when it comes to threats and everything like that. So it's really about analyzing the narrative and using that you know to your advantage in in most cases so it seems like a fictional positioning first game rather than like a dice building sort of game at least at the the forefront for me yeah it's 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 definitely a bit of both yeah Um, yeah you you have to really like be in tune with everything that's going on yeah and you have to discuss the situations as players like mm-hmm. yeah you're called the game master but you're, you're a player game masters are players all right yep. yes and Let's it's, say it's it extremely loud it's extremely important in this game for both players to be in sync and on the same page and discussing things like i'm a big fan of you are a fan of the player you are mm-hmm. always a fan you you want them to succeed and you want them to do cool shit Mm-hmm. But in this game, they really got to work for it. Yeah, yeah. So it's important that everyone be on the same page and be discussing these things. I think that's true of every game. I think it's super important that everyone be constantly discussing everything. Um, but I think that it's especially true in uh, in space. Mm-hmm. Say the whole thing. You're in space and everything's fucked. <laughs> 
I just want to remind people that's the name of the it's game. It's so good. It's so it's good. So good. I like uh, that the shorthand that I in in the text. <laughs> I'm proud of this. I think it's funny. I refer to the game as in space mm-hmm. for shorthand, and it lets me write some cool stuff like in space, blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or like in space, you'll die a lot. In space. <laughs> Don't worry about dying a lot. Because <laughs> no one can hear you scream. Um, so one of the things that I also liked about the book, and as we sort of talked about the Discord and Ghosts sort of portion, is that you created internet browser tables that people can access and use to randomize their games. Was that something that sort of came on the back end of creating this? Like this happened recently? Was this sort of like something you wanted to do out the gate? Uh, I found I found them very useful in my use, uh, you know. Yeah, so I I use perchance.org or mm-hmm. .net. I can't remember. I use a, an online tool called Perchance. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, uh, it came about because, one, I remembered an episode of some podcast. It might have been yours where someone mentioned Perchance. And I was like, oh, I should use that. Um, but it, in all honesty, and this is a fault of my design, um, the tables are pretty involved. There's a mm-hmm. lot of rolling on tables that you do in this game, and it's a, because you you roll to generate the room, and that's like the size of the room, how many doors it has, if there are threats, what kind of secrets it has, and if it's a like you even roll to see if it's actually a set piece encounter, which are like one off unique things. Mm-hmm. You roll to generate weapons, and that's like the type of the weapon, the what kind of attacks it does, what ammo it uses, blah blah blah. Like each table is a number of steps that is. In all honesty, depending on how quick you're going through these rooms, probably kind of a pain in the ass to do every mm-hmm. single time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that perchance exists, so I said, all right, I'm just going to make one of these for every single table in this game so that if people come to my game and say, hey, these tables are cruel, but it sucks, I can say, well, go here. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a problem. You can just do this. Amazing. And I love that. I... Um to to extrapolate on that it it uh, I love tables I love tables that help me do things but this is designed uh, at least from what my reading is that's a procedurally generated game so it kind of it kind of focuses on having a no prep sort of situation at hand so to generate every room because my player Liam uh, absolutely was like bursting through rooms because he didn't really understand how to like handle a monster or a threat in the particular circumstances. Like, I can't fight this thing. I'm just going to book it. And like, it kind of, uh, removes the tension because there are like eight rolls. And I found the only table I had to roll on was for, uh, the monsters table, but it's like, I wrote all that down and that took maybe like 10 seconds. Right. And that's kind of like, uh, a thing where like, if you're in a rush to come out into another room, which thankfully the room generator was on, but it's like, I had to make, I had to make myself the th- secret threat every time a new room was generated, right? So it was just that sort yeah, of thing. If, th- if there is one, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's definitely, like, I, I fully admit this, that, like, that's a big weak point of the design. Mm-hmm. And I, I genuinely believe that having the perchance there, like, you don't need to do it on a computer. You can do it on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, that's that's a good shortcut that I think helps a lot, and it helps keep things straightforward. And the only reason I magnify this is to say, like, I've played other games that have, like, huge prompt tables on them. Like, Ironsworn is one of those games where it doesn't have as many steps, but it's, like, 
you're you're figuring out okay like what does the room look like what's in the room what sort of you roll on your denizen table like there are also steps that are just a little bit more separated from a single table right and i think as we talk about moving into a modern era using electronics these tools like perchance or creating your own ecosystem or building an app for your game that helps supplement those things can not only help but it may also allow you to push your design to create like more elaborate tables or systems or generators to really get like unique ideas across the table, right? I think it expands upon the space in which you have to uh, allow for generation methods to happen in a in a game. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Um, honestly, like I I did. I think another thing too about this game is that like I I have a very specific vision for it. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a very specific tone and atmosphere that I want to come across in this, and it does come across. Um, but the expense of that is like there's a lot of columns on these tables, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, I and I spent some time trying to go through these tables and going, okay, what can I cut out? How can I change this? How mm-hmm. can how can I make this easier? And I genuinely feel that if I cut any of those columns, it's going to be at the expense of the vision. I Big agree. air quotes. I'm a fucking art man, I guess. <laughs> um, and I and I think it's great that this tool exists mm-hmm. because I can say, look, like I can acknowledge it, like I'm doing right here and in the text, and I can say, look, this. If you're built, if you. If you build out the space ahead of time, there are things that you can do. Like you can generate all the monsters ahead of time mm-hmm. and not and, and, and be skipping that step. Yeah. You can yeah. generate a sector ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that would be really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, when I played uh, a rasp of sand, um, I generated a whole floor of the dungeon ahead of time so that we can just run through it. Yeah. But that game also wants you to roll for everything mm-hmm. in one go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's far more simplified because the vision of that game is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, being able to go and use these tools, like Perchance or a Twitter bot, yeah, yeah. Um, makes things quicker, mm-hmm. makes things easier. And I don't know if more accessible is the word. Sure. But... Um, Something along those lines, like you, you can you can grok it quicker. Yeah, it it releases a cognitive load of storage that a player might have. I think there is something to be said about like uh, an enhanced accessibility to the point of like I'm not constructing a binder or a word document or something that I have to sift through, even though I already prepped this right. Like, you know, no plan s- survives the players at the table. <laughs> So, exactly. You, you know what I mean. You may have done That's, all that prep I, work, and like, I, I'm, I'm a, I really like that phrase. Um, no, no plan survives the players. Um, I used to be huge on micro prepping mm-hmm. every single thing. Um, like that's what made my first three point five D and D campaign suck shit. Um. Because I prep, I over prepped. The, word bi- the world Bible, dude. I have, fuck world <laughs> Bibles. 
I, you you ah. are not no nobody is Matt Mercer. You're not running yeah. a show for millions of viewers. Mm-hmm. You're making a game for you and your friends to play. Mm-hmm. If you like making world bibles, go for it. Prep to prep as much as you want. Mm-hmm. For me, someone who has big time ADHD, mm-hmm. who works a full time job, who doesn't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. And who has hangups on prepping in general, like, I try to make games that are prep-free or prep-minimal mm-hmm. or fully improvised. Mm-hmm. Because then I can come up and I can say, hey, you want to play a game, Jeremy? And you can say, fuck yeah, I do. And then mm-hmm. we play it. Absolutely. Right then and there. I'm the same person. I'm the same person. I And, and I, I also think that it's important to recognize that, like, you, you really don't need high prep games. You yeah. do not need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're potentially... Uh, I talk about this a couple times when, like, the DMG for D&D and stuff gets brought up, and it teaches you, like, to be a novelist, it doesn't really teach you to be, like, a GM. And I'm speaking specifically to 5th edition. I, I don't know what other editions... I fully DM, agree. yeah. Uh, what other... Edi- I know that some people have mentioned, like, 4th edition was a very good, like, Dungeon Master's Guide and taught you how to GM and stuff. But it was also a more, like... Uh, uh, mechanically inclined uh, as we said explicit mechanically inclined game rather than implicit mechanically Mm -hmm. designed game so uh, I'm totally with you in that like those might be a thing of the past as we move forward especially when we could like I I think about the I once read about Japanese style tabletop role playing games and they're actually called uh, tabletop games because one, from my understanding, from what I've read, the culture is very work-focused and they don't have a lot of time to play like RPGs. So they have games specifically designed that can happen in an hour, don't really require prep. You just play out improv scenes and you go, 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 and you have your character sheet because they want to see what happens throughout the game, but they only have an hour to spend. There's no way you're, like, anyone who's watched Critical Role, you know that a shopping episode is like absolutely insane to me because they're extending an entire, like yeah. that takes two hours by itself. You know <sighs> what I mean? And that's not yeah. planned for. He literally wrote down like, okay, a long sword cost five gold. <laughs> like, after that, they're discussing if they want this magic ring or not. It's it, uh, what I'm saying. What I'm ultimately trying to point to and to, to harp on Nevin's point is that, there is an age of the novel game prep slowly escaping us. And I think we're moving into an age where we can use tools and to, to create these more like emergent storytelling moments that go beyond the pass fail role, the resolution system. Yeah. I, I think that it's important to like, there's definitely a merit. <laughs> I know I literally just said, fuck them, but there's a <laughs> merit to a world Bible. There's a, there's a merit mm-hmm. to having a setting and to have like, I'm in a. I'm actually in a in a five E game mm-hmm. that's like a political game. Mm-hmm. Like we we play as very very rich half elf werewolves, mm-hmm. and the entire setting, the entire game is political intrigue and sneaking around. And oh no, people can't find out they were werewolves. Oh no, <laughs> um, it's real fun. Um, and the GM for that, Vince, has done quite a bit of world building, like. He knows people's political alignments. He's got family trees and hair and eye color descriptions for every single character in that game. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. But I also think that it's important that when you play a game, you let the players 
do some building too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that it's I think that you get something that's more unique, more interesting, and that the entire table has more buy-in for because mm-hmm. everyone's done some investing in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I I really really came around to this in a big way because of the uh, the actual play podcast uh, Spout Lore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Dungeon World actual play podcast of like it's it's for comedians in Canada um who just play dungeon world and it starts off rough like everything mm-hmm. and there's some initial jokes in there that aren't super kosher i guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but it has a very very heavy focus on building the setting together like Sean O'Hara the the game master for that did not really do he, he wrote the first session um and even then, that entire first session was shaped by asking the players, why are you going to this town called Mudlark? Mm-hmm. And it, they came up with something that Sean never would have come up with, which is they are escorting a dude who owns a hot dog cart uh, to a, a meat festival in this town. Mm. And then they ended up fighting some really big magic frogs called Bullywogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Skip forward, like, seven seasons, and we learn that those bullywogs were created by their wizard friend before he was trapped in a magic box. (laughs) And all of that, as ridiculous as it is, is super amazing and feels, like, believable in this world because they worked together to create this setting. And there's a whole lot of stuff, very silly and very serious... That exists in this world because it's four people creating it together. Mm. I think that that is super, super important to games and to settings. And I think that that is like an evolution of the world Bible. Yes. Yeah. That's that's why Gunslinger has question prompts at the start. I give you some facts, but then the rest of it is why did this happen? How did this happen? What's this? What's this? What's this? Because why are you I want a gun? People, why the why the fuck are you a gun? <laughs> I tell and, people that they're. I tell people in the text for that game that you're figuring that you're playing to figure out why they're a sentient gun. You answer it right away. <laughs> <laughs> but you also do that uh, with, within space as well. You also mm-hmm. have setting questions. You're like, hey, to, to a you, smaller degree. To yes. a smaller degree. I, yes. I do a lot of because I want that game to be very pick up and play. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I do a lot more encouraging of like figuring it out as you go instead of at the start mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it and there's just some loose the same questions are kind of more like why is a space station infested with whatever it's infested with what was the thing that did it right are you looking for for that right uh what is what were you doing before this all kicked off like what why haven't why weren't you on the ship when everyone uh died you know what i mean it's it's or were you on the ship and how did you not exactly exactly it's it's much more focused on because there's the objective system in this Mm -hmm. game it's Mm -hmm. the the setup questions are much more focused on giving you room to have ideas for what those objectives are Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a very video gaming tabletop game yeah uh you even introduced yeah something that i've seen uh arguments about for like immersion purposes in rpg forums is the save point the concept of respawning um 
And I, I see a lot of kickback from people like, oh, that doesn't create an immersive experience. Why would I have my players like... But have you considered like resurrection magic, dude? Is that not just like a respawn? Get me out of I here. Think, I, I, no, I, I, I think that there's definitely like... I mean, I say right off the bat, like, this is about video games. Yep. Yeah. This is a TTRPG that's about video games. Yeah. And in video games, you have save points. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's immersive. Yeah. Um, and all, there's, there's a line in the text um, that says like, look, these are save points. They exist. And you are fully conscious of them. Like, you are aware mm-hmm. that you are going to come back. It's up to you to explain it. Because mm-hmm. I do, I don't care. That's not the point. That's not the mm-hmm. point of this game. Um, I came up with some ideas. Honestly, I almost didn't put those ideas in there. I almost just said, this is a save point. This is how it works mechanically. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jam, <laughs> Jam was like, but why? And it got me thinking. It was like, no, I, I should add some room to tell the players to work with this and work it into the fiction. Mm-hmm. Um but it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's there for a mechanical theme, not not super there for fiction, but it's mm-hmm. an opportunity for fiction. There's a I sent Nevin a, a link like two days ago. There's a very great series called Boss Keys uh, on the Game Makers Toolkit YouTube channel. By Mark Brown. Mark Brown, so good. Thank you, Mark, for creating that series. It's uh, it's something I consider in every time I think about an adventure game. Like, how can I work Boss Keys into this? But the concept is that, like in Metroidvanias or adventure style games, your barred access and the 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 series really focuses on like video games. But I, try, I constantly think about, like, tabletop applications for video game stuff because that's where all my inspiration comes from. I used to play MMOs. I love video games. I I don't... I haven't played, like, AD&D. I haven't played uh, Apocalypse World 2nd Edition. Like, I'm recent to tabletop, so I don't have all that... What would you call it? Pedigree? I don't even know if that's a good word. But I don't have this tabletop pedigree, so I'm using what I know. And for, for me, like, for boss keys to work... I think there has to be some concept of like learn the layout of the map, learn the puzzle. You're you're gonna like maybe die and like do you add a respawn to a game like that? And is that actually immersive breaking? Or if you come to the table knowing that that that's what the game is about, isn't that still immersive because you worked it in right? Like you're able to be reborn because your soul is constantly trapped by a ghost urn or whatever the fuck you call it, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's, there's there's um, mnemonic that game that we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, that is a game that, uh, God, uh, I think it's designed by D Pennyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got, I think I got that name right. Um, but that game is inspired by Hollow Knight, mm-hmm. which is a Metroid, which is, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> good. podcast is about um, to transform right now. <laughs> um, that's a Metroidvania. It's an indie mm-hmm. Metroidvania. It's absolutely amazing. Go play it. That game oh, so gives me emotions. Um, <laughs> But that it, it, mnemonic is a Metroidvania TTRPG through and through, um, and it acknowledges that you are going to die or fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do that, the challenge isn't removed in the game. Instead, when you fail at a check, it has it asks you to say, "Okay, describe how you fail at this instance over and over, and then how you get past it." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. 
technically speaking, you don't really fail at things. And th- mm-hmm. this is this is going from my fairly limited knowledge of the game. I haven't read it yet. I've heard it played mm-hmm. on Jeff Storm's podcast, Party of One. Go check it out. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but that's essentially the ethos behind that game. I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's a respawn, right? Is mm-hmm. that immersive? No. But it works for the theme of the game, and that's what matters. It, that's what matters for these projects. There, there are games where, yes, immersion matters. Yes, simulationism matters. Mm-hmm. But that's theory, and I'm not here for theory. I'm talking <laughs> theory this whole time. Yeah. I've tricked myself. <laughs> I've played myself into talking about theory. This is the um, game I play. There are places for simulation. There are places for immersion. And what we do as game designers is figure out what we want from what aspects in our projects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I think that it's when you talk about the con, like this specific vacuum concept of respawning in a game, and if that's immersion breaking or not. I think it's only immersion breaking when the game, it, like people, where this comes from is like people are talking about respawns in D and D five E. Like, can I can I simulate that? And it's like. Well, that's not what the game asks of you. That's not the stakes it has surrounded itself around in terms of respawning. But they have it. That's very that's that's well, that's very true though. But like even yes, resurrection magic is a respawn, but it's different. You don't just come back. You have to have a diamond worth five thousand gold or something like that. Yeah. Or you have to be friends with a cleric. Yeah. And you have to pay some money or do a quest. Like it is respawning. But it's not the same. Right. It's, there, there's always like a very, not always. I try. I need to stop saying always so much. But there tends to be a very real cost to that resurrection. Right. And that cost is usually like going on a quest, paying mm-hmm. a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, I've I've seen it done where you can just come back right now. But you're going to be a little fucked up because of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to be weird. Oh, shit. Um, I feel like I know what you're talking about. Never mind. Never mind. It'll be a long silence. I do it in in Gunslinger, actually. Yes, exactly. Um, Yeah. I I I think that's what it was. (laughs) I tell the the players of that game, like, look, you're probably going to die. But, like, that's not the end. You can come back. Make a deal with the twist. Be changed in some horrible way. Uh, and you can be back. That's totally fine. Mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. like, I don't... I, it's fun to talk about that those sorts of things in fiction, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite memories from D&D, since we're talking about a death and coming back, I actually needed to leave a campaign um, because I wasn't super having fun with it and I needed to, like, focus on school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually worked it out with the GM. I was like, my character is going to die this next session. Mm-hmm. I want them to die. Mm-hmm. I want that to be the end of their story, is mm-hmm. death. The players did not know this. Mm-hmm. Um, we had my character get swallowed by a dragon, mm-hmm. like a sea dragon. Um, and then the entire party was like, oh shit, Karm died. Uh, let's, send a, let's send his body back to the town with a sack of gold and a note to get resurrected. Um that was really cool. Like mm-hmm. that, it, it had a cost to them. And we were also then able to give that like a fictional cost to Karm 
himself mm-hmm. uh, because he fucking died and was like, I'm not about this. I'm not out for revenge anymore. I'm going to go work at a library. Um, and there, there's cool stuff that you can do mm-hmm. with, with death and with resurrection and with respawning quotes around that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's cool shit that you can do if you allow your players to explore death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over and over again in some cases too, right? Exactly. And that's wow. kind of a, a fun thing that I do. Looping back, we have not talked about your in space at all. <laughs> we have, we have. It's all we like we talked about save points, the system, all that. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's, there's some cool shit that I do with death in this. It's not costless. There's a whole table that you roll on, roll on every single time you die to see how the space changes. Yep. Like what happens. Um, and that's fun. That's fun and cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I think you talk about in the text, uh, to, to my memory that it's your, it's your, unlike a Metroidvania where like your, your mastery is of mapping out the space, remembering what the room has, remembering what like key item you need when you come back or whatever have you, this adds a sort of element of like, Hey, the space is going to warp after you. Cause you, you know, you may write it as you don't know how long it takes for you to respawn. So, you know, what monster comes in here or whatever have you, or how does the space evolve? And it creates this mastery of like reassessing your fictional positioning when you get back to that same space again after you've mapped it out. So I find that really interesting that it kind of like adjusts the stakes in such a way that the save point is not... Um, I think what people 
com- complained about in some of the forums that I read about respawning in these sort of fantasy style adventure games is that they feel like it removes stakes entirely from the scenario. And I what I counter sure. with, uh, uh, what I counter with is that I just think the stakes have to be written differently for when you introduce something like that into your fiction. It's just a different set of stakes because you may respawn, but maybe NPCs don't, right? Or you may respawn, and your and your whole team may respawn. Maybe you respawn in different locations, right? Like the stakes are now that you're separated. So it's just like it just depends on like each respawn can only hold one person. So it's just about the writing of of how you introduce it into your systems. I think that um, Chris Pissett does some cool stuff in Dice Souls. So excited! Um, so excited! It, it, the the starter kit for that is a, a masterwork mm-hmm. in like how to write a how to write a quick start. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris is aiming to emulate uh, Dark Souls mm-hmm. because they were playing Dark Souls and he thought this is cool as shit. Let's make a game, um, and that handles things totally different um, in some ways. And my brain is coming to a halt right now, so we're just going to move on. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. Like, there, there's various ways that you can do this. There's various weights that you can put on these things. Yeah. Um, and people who knock it, people who say there shouldn't be respawn systems, uh, just haven't wrapped their heads around it yet, I think. Yeah. Or realize that they're still technically using it. There's... There's multiple ways to go about so many things in games. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's important to be open to interesting mechanics and yeah. systems. Yep. Otherwise, how are you going to grow as a player or as a designer? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Nevin, you're a genius. Sometimes. All the time. In the final stretch of, of the episode here, the TLDR tip, in case someone scrubs all the way through this and gives me that juicy watch time, but just once this tip, uh, I'm going to roll on this table here. I'm going to take out my dice. Yes, good. I'm stoked to be not prepared. Can I see the dice, by the way? I've, I've been curious oh. about what dice you roll. Yeah, so uh, I roll these metal dice I got a long time ago. I don't remember who I got them from. Let me see if I can bring this up. Oh, again. those are nice. I love the... Those are good. Solid. Good Very line shiny. Work. Yeah. Uh, I also have good these by critical dice, I think there are. They're, they're oh, just like... those are good. I've got, I don't, I should have, damn it, I didn't bring my dice to my table. Got this rainbow oh, iridescent damn. one. Oh, damn. These are, these are my partner Grace's dice. And now we're ripping the off Vaditya's dice corner, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm coming for you, Vid. I'm yeah. coming for you. We're the new show in the block. Um no, uh, lo- love you, Viditya. Uh, you're great. You you are the king of podcasts until right now. Uh, so <laughs> I did it. Uh, we uh, I will roll here. We'll see what we get to talk about. I love that you're not prepared. No one ever is. So don't feel bad about that. Uh, as always on this show, uh, I'm gonna roll on this table. Uh, it's gonna have a prompt. You may do something that we've talked about within this podcast. You may do something outside of this podcast. You can use whatever amount of experience you have within this space uh, to answer this question. And take your time. I can edit out any dead air that happens here. Uh, boop. 
Ooh, six. I haven't rolled a six in a long time. Uh, this is publishing. So, uh, under the prompt of publishing, whatever that means to you, would you give a quick tip or advice to the listeners about how they can enhance their own game design uh, through the prompt of publishing? Whatever I, that means. This is really funny because this is the one I wanted to get. Yeah. So I actually have I actually have some answers for this. Um, the answer is just do it. Just do just publish the game. Mm-hmm. Um, the first game that you put out is going to be the most daunting mm-hmm. because you've never done it. Tell me about I, it. It's it's terrifying. Gun and Slinger was the first game that the fir- the first game that I ever did that was big. It's the first mm-hmm. Kickstarter I did. It's the first game that I'm putting this much effort into. Um, I just had to do it. You you just gotta do it. Um, you don't need. To do a whole lot of fancy layout for your game. You can release a Google Doc and people will buy it and play it and go, hell yeah, this rules. Or they might not. They might say this sucks. Uh, that's a fact of the world. That's a fact of game design, too. Your game might be good. It might be bad. You won't. Uh, you just have to do it. You have to put it out there. And... If this isn't in regards to, like, your first game, like, if you're just trying to get more out there with various projects that you've done, it still comes down to just doing it, but Mm -hmm. push yourself as you go. I think that the best way to learn things, at least for me, is by doing them. Mm -hmm. Um, So to that end, like, every project that I do, I aim to do in a different way. And I think that that is especially useful when it comes to publishing. And for all intents and purposes, publishing really just means putting it out there. Mm -hmm. I think that people hear the word publishing and they get intimidated because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm I'm public. It's a weighted word. It's a very, very weighted word. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of context behind it. It's not just simply what it is saying. It's like different mechanisms, right? Like yeah, there's a lot of wa- there's a lot of ways you can publish something. Yeah. either with the help of a publisher, mm. uh, like Exalted Funeral or Melsonian Arts, or I guess Floating Chair Club now too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Shout out the Floating Chair. Floating Chair rules. Yeah. Um, but you're a publisher too, right? You have an itch page. I assume mm. you you've you've got your itch page, you've got your text on you've got your black text on white page with no layout. Mm-hmm. Release it and that's publishing. And that's a new way that you've done that. And the next mm-hmm. time that you do it, grab affinity, it's fifty bucks. Do layout. Publish that. Five bucks currently. Uh yeah. Uh-huh. It, oh, God, I love affinity, they're so good. Um, <laughs> but like every every time you release something, every time you publish something do it differently grow Mm -hmm. learn push yourself Mm -hmm. um you're in space and everything's fucked is ground up we are we are doing this project 100 in house Mm -hmm. um we are printing it we are binding it we are shipping it all in house that's Mm -hmm. a new way never done that before but we're gonna do it and we're gonna Mm -hmm. learn a lot doing so i've already learned a lot and been very stressed but (laughs) oh but it's worth it and it's good because if this is something that you want to do if if you are at the level where you are concerned about the term publishing and you are concerned about learning more things 
um, it's extremely important that you try those things. Mm-hmm. And you're going to fail. You're going to fuck up. But you're going to learn from it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to grow from it. Um, and I think that that's extremely, extremely important for people to do, especially in this space. Um, and especially for new designers. Yeah. New and old designers. I- Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's this, there's definitely this fear of failure, right? I think people are afraid to uh, afflict their status with a mark of this didn't go well, or this negative, or, or seemingly negative detraction from their positive facing life. You know, social media does strange things to us in this current age. And I think that, um, I, I watch a lot of like entrepreneurial YouTube channels and stuff and they talk about, you know, learn from your failures. My biggest thing that, that has always stuck with me for a really long time is that everyone says knowledge is power and that's incorrect. Knowledge is not powerful until it's applied. If you never apply that knowledge, it's useless. It's a useless yeah. set of yeah. um, uh, batteries fun with facts. no electronic. Yeah, just fun facts that you, that you can whip out at a party, but it doesn't do anything for you. If you spend all your time learning how Affinity works, but never try to put out a shitty logo or a bad poster or, you know, what you might consider a bad poster, right? And again, I think what's also important about this failure concept is that everything is relative. What you might think is not good or a failure, someone else may look at you and be like, holy shit, that's... Like, I have people... I don't think I'm doing anything special with this podcast by any means, other than talking to people. But I have people be like, wow, I couldn't have done that or this is really great uh i i think that you're doing a, a spectacular job your your sound production is so good i'm like i'm not doing any of that so like thank you well, yeah but, but like, yeah, like you yes exactly and i yeah. want to say you are doing something great here this is a kick-ass <laughs> podcast thank you um, wasn't wasn't reaching i promise everyone <laughs> oh i know you weren't because i feel i i have those same thoughts mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. like it took me a v- it took me an amount of time. I'm not going to say a very long time, but it took it took me an amount of time to really come around to the fact that I am good at this. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you you do things for a very very long time. Mm-hmm. I did YouTube. Uh, and I want to go back to it, but I, I did YouTube videos for eleven years. Mm-hmm. And I wow. got nowhere, mm-hmm. got nowhere with it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that was a failure. Um, but, and you know, I'm, I'm good at it when I do it. Um, but I started doing game design and I started out with those same initial thoughts of like this. I don't know if this is good. I don't, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more things that I released and the more I pushed myself and the more I read what people are saying, uh, I've eventually been able to, I don't know if it's tricking myself or if it's real and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm tricking myself. It doesn't matter if it's real because I can tell myself I make good shit mm-hmm. and I believe it one way or another. <laughs> um, and I think that's important, too. And I, I don't... Everyone has the capacity to make something good. Yes. I very firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a matter, sometimes, of tricking yourself. Mm-hmm. And 
I think I make good things. To to step outside of the bit real quick, I think I make good things. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not I do, I think I make good things. And I think that that's an important thing mm. to believe when you are putting yourself in anything. And I don't think you get there right off the bat. Right. You're not going to get to the point of thinking you do good things and believing you do good things without doing them, without mm. making those failures or those things that you see as failures. You're never going to get anywhere if you don't do the damn thing. So yeah. my advice for publishing is just fucking do it. Just go, man. Just put it out there. No one magnum opuses on the first try. I promise. You can look anywhere in history. No one no one mm-hmm. has done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why World of the Weird has been on the sideline for two years now. Mm. And suddenly I, you'll be the new Wizards of the Coast when it releases. I hope not. <laughs> the better the better <laughs> Wizards of the Coast is what I meant to say uh, oh damn well Nevin that is going to bring us to the finish line of your at this recording two hour and five minute show which supersedes Vaditya by five minutes suck uh, it vid <laughs> but we'll see what happens post editing uh, no no <laughs> <laughs> just to get yeah no uh nevin again where can people find you find your games uh what do you want them to look for when they're coming to find you all these links will be in the show notes for your access listeners okay uh here we go get ready yeah. for a list i'm ready i'm um, lit so you can find all my stuff at nevin.games n-e-v-y-n dot games um that's my website. It has the best header of any website in existence. Um, that links to my Twitter. It links to active projects. It links to my edge. It links to all that stuff. So if you want to see my stuff, go there. If you just want to see posts about G Fuel, just go to my Twitter, <laughs> which is at Fork20. Um, I want to also say to be on the lookout for Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a project between myself and Chris Pissette, who you can find at Pangalactic on Twitter or at Loot the Room. Um, that game should be out in a couple of months. We're waiting on the Kickstarter money to come through. We're going to do some passes. We're going to finish it, layout art, all that stuff, go to print, blah, blah, blah. Um, I also want to say check out uh, check out my wife's work. Mm-hmm. She She has never... Everything she makes blows my mind. She doesn't and miss. I am, she does not miss. This is a house of people who don't miss. <laughs> um, our dog doesn't even miss. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find her on Twitter at Dino Berry Jam. D-I-N-O-B-E-R-R-Y-J-A-M. Um, she's working on getting her website and her portfolio up right now. Uh, she's going to be doing a lot of work on Kitchen Nightmares. I know that Spencer Campbell has her in his back pocket for uh, whatever he's doing next. Nova? Nova now? Nova. I don't know if that's public. Oh. Censor that. Or don't. Or ask him. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask him before. People um, know about Nova. He has a but, YouTube. He's talked about it on YouTube. Yes. Okay, cool. We're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. Nova. Right. Nova. Dope, dope, Nova. Dope, 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 dope. Um, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. She's also got her own game design projects that she's working on. Like, y'all want to be watching that space because it's going to blow your minds. Jan, Um, come on the show. She does freelance stuff, too. Um, 
What else? What else? What else? Uh, you should check out this podcast called Draw Your Dice. It's pretty good. I really like it. Uh, Jeremy's pretty cool. Uh, he had this guest on recently. Nevin kind of sucked, but whatever. Oh, my God. Um, Back to the bit. There's good stuff. Back to the bit. <laughs> We're in it. I stepped out for like five minutes. We're back in. I was cold. Uh, I got cold. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's everything right now. We've been doing this for almost two hours, ten minutes. My brain is a stick yeah. of butter. Yeah. To also quote Adam Bell. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm good. I'm good. Heard. We are good. I have nothing else to plug for now. Perfect. Uh, well then, with that, to get us into our comfy Saturdays, uh, thank you everyone for hanging out with us. I learned a lot listening listening to Nevin. I hope that you also learned a lot listening alongside me. And I will catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Nevin. Bye. Bye. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.